Jimmy sold the last company to Cox for about 350 million bucks, had only about 30 million bucks raised in that company. So a great big financial win for everybody. Him and his business partner, who are great friends, they've been doing it for many, many years, then figured out how to spin this com new company out of Cox, which really helps internal communications across mega employees and big employee teams. They have a, about 20% of the global 200 using their platform with contract values, you know, on the low end in the hundreds of grands and all the way up to millions of dollars per year, depending on the size and the, and the growth of the team. They raised 68 million bucks, team of 200 based out there in San Francisco. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 761. Coming up tomorrow morning, we learn from James Smith. Over 4,000 developers paid him to catch bugs, and he's raised $9.5 million. How'd he break into that space? Hello, everyone. My guest today is Jim Larison. He's the co-founder and president of a company called Dynamic Signal, the leading customer and employee advocacy and engagement platform. Jim has been involved in a handful of startups that were successful from within big companies to pure venture funded businesses. With a couple of sold businesses and an IPO, he's excited for what's to come with Dynamic Signal, which has already raised over $68 million in funding. Jim, are you ready to take us to the top? Sure. We were joking. It sounds, sounds like sounds like you're like relaxing in a bubble bath right now with with some female artists blasting over the the the, the stereo. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful music in the background. <laughs> All right, tell us about Dynamic Signal. What's the company doing? What's your business model? How do you make money? Uh, sure. So we founded the company about seven years ago with really with the mission to how uh, sort of revolutionary how to communicate with your employees. So, you know, as you know, big companies struggle to communicate with employees, uh, especially people out in the field. You have retail employees, you have people in factories and reaching those employees is very difficult, especially since a lot of them don't actually have email. Mm -hmm. So what we've what, what our focus is, is really making a simple way to reach employees with the right content at the right time. And so the main problem that companies deal with that we're trying to solve is you have low engagement employees and on corporate Internets. People don't use the Internet many times. The attention spans are really low. Uh, the contents out of date or not timely. Uh, you look at companies that potentially are trying to reach employees through sending newsletters to their home. Uh, or magazines to their home or no, posters Jim. in the break room. Who does? Seriously, people do that? Every every large company that has employees remote will print four-color glossy newsletters and oh mail them to their home. gosh. That's brutal. Okay, well, here's – look, the other side of this, people are going to go, Nathan, this is Slack. Slack has solved this problem. Well, how do you respond to that? Yeah, so we actually work well with Slack. So Slack is more of a collaboration tool. It's a tool where people, employees come to communicate with each other and collaborate with each other. This is more a top-down communication tool. It allows companies to push content or news to employees, and it's really targeted to speak to the employee about the company and something that they might be interested in versus an employee talking directly to uh, the CEO. You know, Got so it. like Jeff Bezos obviously doesn't want 100,000 employees reaching out to him directly. <laughs> yep. Makes good sense. And what's the business model? Is it SaaS? Yeah, it's a SaaS model. Uh, so monthly subscription based. Okay. And give us a sense, just a generic sense. Um, you know, are people paying? I mean, is this a more of a small business tool or an enterprise tool? What's the average kind of company paying you per month? 
Yeah, so we have three segments we go after. So we have a global business that really focuses on the global 50, right? So we have a lot of customers like McDonald's and GE uh, is our customers. Those are very, very large customers that pay us up to hundreds of thousands of dollars per month. And then we have an enterprise business that focuses on the global 1,000. Yeah. Um, those range in the 10,000 plus range for uh, per month. And then we have a corporate business that has people, uh, companies that have 5,000 or less employees. Those typically range in the five to 10K per month. Okay, got it. And is the main factor that's driving these increases or decreases in contract value for you just number of seats based off number of employees? Yeah, yeah so a lot of times we'll, our uh, business model is to charge per employee group or number of employees. We might have a corporate license if you're a smaller business where you just pay a fixed fee. Okay. But it's because it's by employee. Uh, the value is by employee, so the pricing is tied to employees. And and does a lot of times when I talk to CEOs, especially ones that are getting close to like a $100 million run rate, they'll have these cohorts built out. And there are very different playbooks depending on the cohort and the ACV on each of those cohorts. A lot of them also that you they follow the nicely follow the pattern of kind of the 80 20 rule where for your case it'd be your global 50 make up more than 80 percent of your revenue uh, but are less than 20 percent of your customers in terms of logo count is that is that the case with your business as well yeah probably i mean it's probably more of uh, 70 okay. 30 versus 80 20 but yeah it's 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 trending that way uh the big customers continue to grow and can, every quarter, every year, they're growing uh, at sort of massive rates, uh, whereas the smaller customers have a tendency to sort of stay at the rate they're at when they start. And when you say Global 50, Global 1000, like, how do you determine those? Is that public? Like, does some big publication put those out or how are you measuring that? Um, so we look at em- number of employees. So it's probably a generic term that we're using, but we really look at, we segment our customers based like on how many employees they have, and then also segment them further based on where the, you know, how many employees they might have that are remote, how many employees they have in factories, how many employees they have that might be in a retail outlet. Uh, and that helps us sort of guide what is, is this a large business that our global team goes after? For example, Nestle is a very large customer of ours. Nestle has hundreds of companies under the Nestle brand. And in each one of those, they have divisions and subdivisions within the organization that makes this a very complicated problem to solve. And so that's a global customer for us. And that that cohort will pay anywhere between 100 grand up to a million per month, depending on the sure, size. They could pay, you know, there's no cap on it, but uh, that's a good thing for you, right? To, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so your global, give me, get, break these cohorts down in terms of uh, number of uh, employees usually per each. So global 50, how many employees typically? Uh, you know, that's a great question, actually. So global 50 probably would be some company that has 25,000 to millions of employees. You know, McDonald's has close to 3 million employees. Okay. And global, uh, global 1,000? Yeah. So global 1,000 would be 5,000 to 25,000 and then 5,000 less is the corporations. Okay. Makes good sense. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's take our heads out of the, uh, sorry, I took us in the weeds there for a second. That's take, okay. take us back to the founding story. So what year did you launch the company in? Uh, let's see, it was 2010. So we actually had sold our past company to Cox Enterprises. Uh, me and my co-founders have worked together for about 20 years uh, in a bunch of different companies. And we sold, Adify was our past company. We sold it to Cox. Um, what was the sale price? Cox, uh, it was about $350 million. Okay, is it boot, uh, bootstrapped? Uh, no, we raised money. We, okay. we were about three years into the business and sold it. So it was a pretty quick exit. 
Uh, but we had raised, I think, about 20 to $30 million, something around there. So it sounds like that was um, still a great return for everybody. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, and so while we were in Cox, we actually came up with this business model. Uh, and the original idea actually is interesting. It was to go after advocates and influencers and find a way to systematize the relationships that you have with those. And so we worked with companies like General Mills, where they had bloggers in the cooking category, and they would tap them to share recipes and talk about General Mills products. What we saw, though, was that in companies like that and like Oakley and Nike, the biggest advocates were their employees, <laughs> right? And it was massive. Like the, the engagement on these programs was off the map. Plus you can kind of uh, force an employee to share an article about their own company, right? If it comes to right. a boss, you're going to share the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true also. But um, they like to share it. And we, we have a whole gamification engine. So there's points and leaderboards and all that good stuff. So employees liked to share and talk about their company, but they like the benefit of getting recognized also. Uh, so let me yes. Jim, let me ask you a question because your your sure. biggest thing and you already have a financial. I'm assuming if any assumptions are wrong, correct me. You're set okay. for life because you had your first exit, right? And it was a big number, right? So you're basically financially free. You can do anything you want. Why do you why do you think somebody like an Elon Musk chooses to go build rockets and somebody like you chooses to go do kind of internal kind of HR software? In other words, why don't you go after a much bigger risk or a bigger challenge? Why do you think that is? Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I think my first reason is and my co-founder, Russ, talks about this a lot. He's our CEO. Uh, we work together for a long time. The reason that we do this together is we like working together, yeah. right? And he talks a lot because he's had a lot of success also. And he talks about if you want to get rich, go work on Wall Street, right? I mean, that's where you can get rich. If you want to get rich starting a company, that's a complicated and difficult thing to do. Not everyone sells their company for $350 million, right? right. So we're doing it because we don't like working with assholes, basically. We mm -hmm. want to work with people that we enjoy working with. And we just enjoy working in the weeds and doing technically complicated things. When we started the company, the three of us got in a room together. We basically said, when we build this company, we don't want to, we want to build the technology the right way, which is why we've raised so much money. We don't want to build it on the backs of our customers. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we lead the category. That's why we're powering all the big companies because we've invested so much in the technology, which we enjoy doing. And where, so you've raised a total of, you said 68 million? Yeah. And where are you today in terms of team size? Uh, we have about 200, a little bit over 200 employees, most of them in our San Francisco office. Okay. Uh, and then we have people obviously out in the field. And break break that down just between like how many salespeople versus engineers in that 200? Um, probably, let's see, about 80 engineers is my guess, or technical folks. Okay. Uh, and then sales, marketing, HR, all the others falls into, we probably have, let's see, about 40 salespeople okay. at this point. I'm going to ask you an embarrassing question now. Go back to sure. your, go back to your first year in business. Do you remember how low your first year revenue was? What was it? Oh, uh, oh my God. I mean, I, <laughs> it actually probably wasn't that bad because when we spun the business out, we had sold a couple deals you know, as a part of spinning the business out. So it's a couple million bucks probably okay, the first year. You, so this is, see, this is, I'm glad I asked this question because you just revealed something, right? Like this is a strategy that works for a lot of people. You're internal to a business, especially founders trying to get their earn out. Like, and they're like, right. Fuck, I got like five years <laughs> left on this damn earn out. How do I get out of this, but still make money? Oh, let me spin a piece of technology out and take a few customers with me. That's basically yes. what you did. Is that right? Yeah. And the, actually the amazing thing was this was a, uh, an evolution of what we had done at Adify, which was an ad tech business. Uh -huh. 
And when we sold at, when we were selling Adified to customers, customers would, these were media companies. So they would struggle with, we had set up fees that were in the 10 to 20 K range and they would just go nuts about that too much money. And then we sold it to general mills at 10 to 20 times that, and they didn't blink an eye. Yep. So we knew we were going down the right path as yep. far as what business to go after. And then fast forward, that was in 2010. Obviously, you don't want to give a specific number, but in 2016, I mean, what have you broken the, the magical $50 million ARR mark or $100 million ARR mark? Um, obviously, I can't talk too much detail. We're yeah. probably close. I mean, we're close to that number, but... The 100 um, or 50? You know, you could probably... Close to the 50, you yeah. could probably sort of back into the numbers based on what I said. But. In this in this day and age, what do you... Because I get different feedback from different founders. Oh, what do you have to be in terms of ARR, in your opinion, to go public, if that's something you've done any research on? Uh, you know, we talk about it a little bit. I mean, our vision, obviously, is to go public. My What you always hear, sort of rule of thumb, is you have to be on that track to be at 100. But, you know, every business is business different based on how many customers you have or how much uses or engagement you have, uh, you know, what your churn look like. Those kinds of things obviously take into account. Yep. Where are you at today in terms of total customers you're serving? Um, my guess off the top of my head is we're close to a couple thousand. Okay. Um, but that includes the corporate business, which is, you know, yeah. much bigger from the yeah. customer number. Obviously, with the global 50, there's only 50 Right. <laughs> There's only 50 potential there, but a lot of revenue and same with global oh, 1000, yeah. right? Are huge. Yeah. yeah, I think we put out a uh, uh, release earlier this year that said we had 20% of the global 200 or something like I was, that. I was just going to ask you that. So of the global 50, do you do you have 100% yet? Of the global 1000? No, no, no. Okay, so no, 20% probably, of global 200. So probably close to that 20% is the guess. Got it. That's great. So lots, lots of expansion. You know, you could still have 5x expansion opportunity there, and that's assuming sure. you don't figure out additional ways to drive expansion, ARPU. Yeah. What about, I mean, do you have any weird costs, or do you see a gross margin that's typical of most SaaS companies, you know, in the mid-80 range? Yeah, we don't have any weird costs at all. Our, all our costs are driven into the technology itself. That's it. Okay. So are you in like call it 85, 86%-ish range gross margin yeah, wise? Somewhere yeah, somewhere on there. And then what are you, you gave us a great tactic in terms of kind of a weird way you grew early, which was <laughs> spin it out, right? Did you have to broker any weird complex deal? Like, did you take tech out of that company or were you just saying, hey, will you please let me and my, you know, my buddy out of the, out of Cox so we can start the, this new company? Well, it was, you know, the Cox people really, we had a great relationship with them. They're private held company, the great leadership there. And initially we decided to build this within Cox. Okay. And, uh, and actually so they realized, funded it. yeah, they started funding it, you know, ran a PNL, I ran the PNL, we ran the business as a division of Cox uh -huh. and quickly realized that they knew probably going in that they just didn't have the appetite to run a sort of quote unquote startup business difficult for them to even, they're an operator, right? That, that that's what they're good at. So innovation and, and sort of, sort of forecasting potential revenue three years out isn't something that they want. They want to know what the revenue is tomorrow. Yep. So um, so it was a, a, it was a good way to sort of for them to get their feet wet in the space and understand what the, what the trouble would be if they really own this thing and they realized they didn't want to do that. They didn't so want the, the trouble. The, Right. So the exit. I'm sure you went above was, and beyond to make sure they felt it was going to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> it was very troublesome for them. But um, so we, uh, you know, we they got a, a small piece of the company. They invested some money in the, you know, initial round. And, or when we and say small, like less than five percent. 
Yeah, it was okay. a very small percent. And then they they, they put a, some money in too. So That's great. Last few questions here on economics. So you 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 really understand kind of the cohorts you're going after. Um, do you see, I mean, when you look at logo churn for a company like what you're doing, I mean, do you see any meaningful logo churn annually? No, I mean, that's the, that's something that's really amazing in our business has been that we are, we, I, I can't think of any customer we've had churn that's launched their program because, you know, our sales cycles are very long How long? And very, very, um, you know, I think the average I saw the other day was close to 200 something days, 240, something like that. Yeah. Um, but we've had some that were a couple of years of, of trying to get the deal done. And a lot of that has to do with these, the decision they're making is a decision they know is a long decision. It's not something you can test, right? This is this is going to touch every employee. Yeah. Uh, and so if you push this out to every employee, G, the, GE pushed this out to hundreds of thousands of employees that have it on their phone. It's not something you're going to pull back, especially yep. if employees like using it. So you've had zero percent. So, you can't think of anyone that started paying you, we, launched the program and stopped. We have none that, that I can think of. Maybe in our corporate business, we might. But in our sort of enterprise business, we've never had a customer that's actually launched the program and then sort of shut it down and walked away. Now I'm probably jinxing myself by saying that, but we've uh, no, never no. had that problem. <laughs> no, now, now let me ask you a question you, that probably gets you much more excited. So that was logo churn. I imagine you guys have definitely figured out the playbook of how to drive expansion revenue. So somebody, I'm making these numbers up, somebody that pays you a million bucks per year, what do you grow that to in year two? Is it one four, one eight, one two? You know, it, it, we're still trying to figure out how to make it work at the way that we've had success in getting these deals done up front. Um, we've tried different things. We've tried sort of the seat bucket license where you, as you grow, you pay more. And sort of that's the organic growth. That doesn't seem to be as work as well as what we've recently found, which is more pricing based on division or usage. Like, so if you have a number of divisions that start using the program versus employees, yep. you pay more and there's more value to the customer to pay more in that point versus like now I have a new employee coming on and now I, I go up in the next tier. So that employee is effectively costing me another 5,000 a month. Yep. So we're trying to get away from that. So it's really the way we drive growth is a hundred percent based on getting more usage and that's it. So our customer success team, that's what they focus on is making sure engagement's high and usage is high. Your revenue growth month, month over month, what portion is from expansion revenue versus new customer revenue? Uh, I don't know the number actually. That's okay. the top of my head. One other question here uh, before we get to the wrap up: paid spend per month. I mean, are you guys spent? I mean, are you are you doing things like conferences, paid AdWords, things like that? And if so, give me a range about how much you spend per month. Um, yeah, we do all that stuff. I mean, we're, we, we, are spending after this last raise, the focus really on that was international expansion, uh, expansion of marketing and, and growing our sort of SDR team. Uh, and that's where we spend most of our money probably is really in the, in that side of the things with demand gen tied to it. Um, so 500 you know, K yeah, it's probably, it's a little bit less than that, but it's a, it's a significant investment. All right. Last question here. What do you like to get in terms of payback period? Uh, well, you know, what, what we'd like to get is, uh, you know, maybe Instant, 18 right? months. Yeah. So <laughs> something less than that. Yep. Um, but my guess is we're closer to a couple of years than that. 
many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data uh, metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. One of the themes, guys, I have on this show is I have very successful people at selling information on. People like Amy Porterfield, uh, people that have online membership courses. And many of you will direct message me and email me and sometimes of you even text me and said, Nathan, how do we do all this? How do we do the email marketing for a course? How do we handle the payment? How do we put the membership login on our website? You know, how do we get the course information organized quickly and easily? Well, the tool that people are using, and a lot of people are using this, you can see at nathanlacka.com forward slash course. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash course. The trial is nice and free, which I love if you're like me. I just want to log in, tinker around, figure it out myself, and then decide if I want to use it or not. So it's nathanlacka.com forward slash course. This is the most straightforward way I've seen to launch your course. So you don't have to go buy 10 different pieces of software like email marketing plus payment plus a bunch of other stuff. It's all in one. The trial is totally free. NathanLaka.com forward slash course. Go there now. I'll see you there. Yeah, good stuff. Let's wrap up here, Jim, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, um, that's a good question. I guess my favorite actual business book is The Business of Ventures. Uh, book, which actually is Bill Gates's favorite book, business book also, though I also uh, suggest people read, read Into Thin Air, which is an amazing book. It's not necessarily a business book, but great book. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, Tony Shea from Zappos is a great, great guy to follow. Great book also. Number Delivering Happiness, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Number three, uh, is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Um, there's a tool called Owler, which is like a, a company database. It's sort of like a crunch base with competitive information, and it's a very cool tool. Actually. How do you know if it's accurate or not? Well, I look at our numbers. So, Are they accurate? You know, no. So yeah. I mean, but so I, I think they have a tendency on the revenue to be off. But you know, employees it has a lot of sort of crowdsourced information. So it gives you a sense of what people think of the CEO, what they think of your success, what you think the business is going to do, those kinds of things. Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, as I get older, it's probably closer to five. But when I was uh, younger, it was probably three to four. Wow. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Married with two kids. So when I'm actually at home, which is very almost never, I get much more sleep because my wife gets mad if I don't sleep. And but, how old are you, Jim? Uh, 48. All right, last question. Take us back 28 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Um, I guess my 20-year-old self probably would n need to know that it's important to fail and not be scared of failing. 
I think that's continuing. I should probably know that now, uh, you know, focus on the fact that you can keep pushing and it's okay if you fail or lose your job. There you guys have it. It's okay to fail or lose your job. Go for it from Jimmy. Sold the last company to Cox for about 350 million bucks. Had only about 30 million bucks raised in that company. So a great big financial win for everybody. Him and his business partner, who are great friends, they've been doing it for many, many years, then figured out how to spin this com new company out of Cox, which really helps internal communications across mega employees and big employee teams. They have a, about 20% of the global 200 using their platform with contract values you know on the low end in the hundreds of grands and all the way up to millions of dollars per year depending on the size and the, and the growth of the team they raised 68 million bucks team of 200 based out there in san francisco jim thank you for taking us to the top sure thank you if you enjoyed Jim today, go back and listen to Brendan yesterday. No pun intended, but Brendan's company has sold over $3 million worth of athletic old gear. So used athletic gear. It's an interesting marketplace. Tune in to find out how we did it.